love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. So those days when he would just sleep, barely eating, you could just tell there's no energy. Like, those were the days that hurt. And then finally, that was the moment. Okay, I can finally do something to help. Welcome to the Canadian Love Map, a podcast that celebrates love stories of all kinds, presented by Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, Charm Diamond Centres. Love stories typically involve the exchange of hearts, but in today's episode, we'll meet a couple who took commitment to a whole new level. Turns out love can save your life, and Devin and Laura are living proof. Devin and Laura, I have long considered myself a matchmaker, but I have never made a match quite like yours. <laughs> Tell me how your love story started. Well, um, I would say the kindling, you know, the fire was was kind of built uh, years ago. So high school, shortly after high school, we worked in the parking lot of McMack Mall and she worked in the Starbucks and the chapters. And I found out that Laura was working next door and I didn't drink coffee. I had no interest in it, but I was there pretty much every shift just to get a cookie or a tea or something just to make sure that I could see if she was working. But um, yeah, at the time it was not meant to be, or I, I am not sure why we never, you know, and why I didn't pluck up the courage to ask on a date or anything like that. Yeah. Why didn't you? I don't know. All you ever asked for was a cookie? Uh, just, uh, you know, passing conversation during shifts, you know, uh, you know, how are you? Looking good to see you, that sort of thing. And it's funny because he was Devin McLean of the McLean twins. So I knew who he I was. was. He unaware. caught my eye. One of three people taller than me in our high school. Oh, so. <laughs> that's significant. Yeah. To me, it was, you know, I was a yeah. little 16 year old and I was had a 16 year old infatuation and, you know, you always kind of carry that crush with you. And he was two years older than you. Yes. Yeah. There and how, how tall are you? It's important that people out there just of listening course. to us know that. I'm just shy of six foot one. So you might say I'm a little tall. So uh, to have someone who was a little taller than me walking through the hallways, cute guy. I was like, who's that? Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think there was something about just the when you when you meet somebody your own height, uh, it, it kind of, it triggers something in your mind and says, oh, this is really unique. And this is, you know, it doesn't happen that often. Most of, uh, you know, most of my friends are a lot shorter than I am. Most of the, the people I'd ever really in, interacted with on a day-to-day -day basis are, uh, you know, head shorter if, sometimes, if not more. How tall uh, are you? Six, five. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. It's so, not bad, eh? okay. Everybody's got a mental image yes. now. This yeah. handsome, <laughs> tall couple you found, you found it's like someone from your own planet. Oh, precisely. Yeah. Just yeah. a good fit. A good, good height. Um, we fit well together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So let's talk about how the actual relationship started. 
Well, who got the guts? Who got the courage up to ask the other out? That would be me. (laughs) (laughs) So fast forward. We're now in Toronto, Ontario. I'd been there quite a while. I did my undergrad at U of T. And, you know, you just happened to stay. I'd made friends. It was fun. Good place to be in your 20s. And there was a concert happening. And it was Adam Baldwin. I really wanted to go. So I got my best friend to come. I got my brother to come. And we're so excited. We go to this concert. And about halfway through one of the songs, my brother leans down. He's six, six and a half. Leans down. He nudges me and he goes, I think Devin McLean's here. And I instantly was like, holy shit. (laughs) No way. So naturally, I panicked and was just so excited. And they had seen each other over the crowd. Tall people. As we have many times at many shows before, because when you're that height, (laughs) you can see over everybody and you only see the people who are above the crowd. Uh, You get used to it after a while. Oh, hey, Willem. Hey, man, how's it going? (laughs) Good to see you. And uh, it was a little soul crushing because he was there with a girl. Yes, I was. Yeah. So uh, a friend, though, as a as a very platonic situation, and she's lovely, my friend Alana. And um, <laughs> so Alana and I had gotten our drinks, and and then I said, "Oh my God, I think that's Laura Mason." Like I I knew that she had been in <laughs> Toronto, like I knew that she was there, um, but it's just one of those acquaintances that you know, time had passed. It had been many years since we'd seen each other, um, so I kind of freaked out and I said, "Oh my God, Laura Mason's here." Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't really explain. I didn't have the time or even the the voice to explain over Adam's playing to what, you know, to who Alana was about to meet. But but then I had to cut to the chase of it. Yeah. Because you were wondering. Well, I was curious. So sometimes as girls tend to do, we all went to the washroom together. So <laughs> in the washroom, just, you know, just checking your hair. And then I just looked at Alana and I said, are you here like with Devin? Like you guys together? She goes, oh, De- oh, God, no, 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 no. And I looked at her and said, good. <laughs> and you could kind of say uh, that was the turning point. Yeah, I kind of from that point, uh, when she got back from the bathroom, <laughs> there was no question that. Uh, Alana know, had a quick departure. She she, she gave me an elbow and an eye <laughs> that I kind of assumed meant, you know, I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good night. And we, and we did. And we had a you know wonderful night and. Uh, it didn't really start there, but that it did start there, but it didn't quite. So yeah, it was a busy summer. I had just moved to Toronto that, uh, that year. So it was my first year kind of being there as well. Um, and I was working a lot and, and, and then lo and behold, Adam Baldwin is playing another show at Lee's palace and I get a message on Facebook. Oh, Hey, Adam's coming back. You should come over to my place for drinks before the show. But I kind of assumed just from how things, I guess my assumptions are terrible. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be making them at all. But I kind of got this opinion that it might have been the group hangout. Uh, no, I couldn't be more wrong. I got there and she had made dinner and set up a, a beautiful evening with candles. And, and uh, she made a beautiful pork roast. And I, I just could not tell you how shocked. And <laughs> I couldn't believe how, how badly I'd misread the situation. I, I said, there's no way I'm miss i'm not going to mess this opportunity up again so when did you hit your bump in the road i would say uh, we got through 2017 um and i i was up front i would say probably within the first couple of weeks of us dating it was uh, date one yeah date one maybe even i said 
we were talking about things that, you know, our lives, you just mentioned things. And I, I've been dealing with health issues all of my life, you know, since I was a kid. I have a rare liver disease and it's called primary sclerosing cholangitis. Um, and before I'm 40, I'm going to need a liver transplant. And I said it very matter of fact, uh, I didn't beat around the bush and she didn't bat an eye. And she said, cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah. not cool, but like, I understand. And, and, you know, that's, that's not deterring me from, from the conversation, which is, I think something that drew me in a little bit more. 2017, well, 2016, 2017 go by and we're falling in love. And Dude. about May, 2018, actually, I'd had a pretty bad episode of a cholangitis attack, which is just a part of the, the disease. Um, and there was obvious signs of it. So jaundicing, yellowing of the eyes, extreme fatigue, couldn't get out of bed in the mornings, uh, you know, had a really hard time just making it through. And I'd had these episodes in the past and they're pretty common when you live with it, um, but it didn't go away. So it just continued on for two or three weeks. And at that point I, I had, yeah, we had, we had figured out that something wasn't, wasn't right, you know, and I, I was in a little bit more trouble than, um, yeah, than you normally would be. The summer went through to, dietary restrictions and changing things about the way that I was eating in terms of sugar intake and carbs. And we went gluten-free and we, we, I did a few things, but she followed right in suit. You know, if I was eating gluten-free, so was she, you know, it, it was that sort of thing. We did it together because why, why would I do it differently? Which is, I think your mentality. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. just easier. Yeah, exactly. So your liver let you down, but your lover didn't. Yeah, yeah that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> Put that yeah, on exactly. a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> that's what occurred that's, to me while you were speaking. Absolutely. I was like, wow, how perfect is that? In this whole process, yeah. No, normal things that you would immediately stop doing. Like I was never a heavy drinker, but, you know, definitely no more alcohol for any purpose or any reason. Um, you know, the the diet was a big thing. And then by about October, I think that was the the, the big turning point. Um, where I was in the hospital. So I, I ended up just having a, a, it went much, much, got much worse. Yeah, it was, that was the first moment where we hadn't really realized what had to happen. I knew what was coming, but I thought there might be some, something else to do before the big, yeah, the big uh, obvious answer, which was a liver transplant. So you had been sort of impressed and buoyed by her solidarity with you making dietary changes and so on. But when it, when your condition deteriorated, so you were in the hospital, what did you learn about her as a, as a partner and a person? It's difficult to, to put into words just how tough it is to be that sick and then realize that you're not alone and you're not, you're not, doing it by yourself in a strange city with nothing around you, no family, like no, no immediate, uh, like close friends from your childhood. You know, I'd kind of moved here with my bags and that was about it, you know, moved to Ontario with, with uh, a suitcase and yeah, everybody back home kind of had to get filtered through her and through me and just understand that we had each other. And that was, yeah, that was going to be it for the time being. Yeah. Laura, what was that experience like for you? It took me a bit to kind of wrap my head around it, even though the communication and the openness from Devin from that first date, even though I knew that this was coming to hear those words like I'm in the hospital right now, it was difficult. But it was one of those situations where I could either break down and be completely useless to myself and to my partner 
Or I can really buckle down and be as strong as I can, put on a strong face and just be there and be supportive. Be kind of a light in a really weird, dark time. This far off, distant, you know, time period that I learned about when I was 17, you know, this this idea of a concept about needing this, um, you know, this surgery or this procedure, uh, it had suddenly snapped into focus and it was right in front of me. Mm-hmm. And neither of us really understood how it was going to play out, but she didn't bat an eye, didn't, didn't back away. You know, if anything, just <laughs> became more. I said, uh, nice try, McLean. You're stuck with me. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, come on, you're Devin McLean. I know. Yeah, you know. weren't going to shake her that easily. <laughs> yeah. And she I, said that she, she said that she wanted to be a light or bring light into your situation. Did you experience that? Uh, it, it was certainly a situation where the sun was shining in my nightmare. Yeah. For, for all intents and purposes, you know, it was, uh, it's the only thing uh, that kept me going. And, and that sounds so, there's so much to that. And, you know, <laughs> you say it so quickly, it, it leaves your mouth and people hear it. But yeah, in every sense of the phrase, you know, you kept me, kept me uh, motivated to figure it out, to make sure that I wasn't going down the rabbit holes. And that when the bad thoughts came in and they came in every day, you were there you know, you were there just to, to push them out. So yeah, it was, it was a lot. At what point did it become clear you were going to need a liver transplant? Toronto, Ontario has the, one of the best hospitals in the world for the, for the sort of thing that I needed. The doctor that I had, Dr. Hirschfeld, he's a hepatologist from the UK and not being hyperbolic, he wrote a lot of the literature involved with my disease. So he is the foremost uh, the foremost researcher involved with autoimmune diseases for for you know, liver problems like mine. Uh, it started off with meeting him and and having that feeling of just okay, I have I have this individual who knows what needs to be done. So he is the man to tell me twelve to twenty four months you need a liver transplant. And so this is the stage at which. This girlfriend of yours who has been your cheerleader and your supporter and your light takes her commitment to a whole new level. So I was never told when I was younger, specifically never told. I'm sure I may have understood it in passing at some point, but I I never considered the idea of a living donor. So somebody who could be alive, well, healthy, and then donate. So we, we learn about this and almost overnight... Uh, within the first few hours, you know, her first instinct is, well, I'll get tested and I'll donate. Mm-hmm. You know, that's no problem. I'll just do that. It's fine. We'll get it done. It'll be over by next summer and we'll be good to go. <laughs> As if it is like, uh, you know, oh, I've got this extra pair of socks. You can have them. <laughs> I don't need them. Um, you know, and and that's really where I think I started struggling most. I think that's really where I had the hardest time. She was here supporting me and being my help, but I didn't, it didn't involve her physically. And uh, I said immediately, like, I, I, I can't live with this being the way that it is. I can't have that happen because nobody should have to suffer uh, for me to, to, to live. Nobody should have to go through that. It's, it's uh, it just, I couldn't square it. I couldn't get it right with my, my, my personal moral compass. I just couldn't. 
And she sat me down one night and she said, it was simple. If I were in this position, wouldn't you do the same thing? <laughs> and I just looked at the ceiling and I said, God damn it. Yeah, because it was different for me, of course, kind of being on the outside looking in because what he didn't see was how hard it was as a partner to watch the person that you love more than yourself, more than anyone else in the world, suffer. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. So those days when he would just sleep, barely eating, you could just tell there's no energy. Like those were the days that hurt. And then finally, that was the moment. Okay, I can finally do something to help, to make him feel better, to move forward and get out of this weird purgatory of discomfort and just no way of really living. We were surviving, but we weren't thriving. And this was really the way that I said, finally, sign me up. Let's do it now. Let's do it tomorrow. I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> it was empowering in a way for you. Yeah, of course it was. It was when I finally learned that I could be a living donor. First of all, I was like, I've never knew about this before. Everyone should know about this. But it was finally something where I felt like I had a true purpose. Like I had something that I was using, of course, but it would be put to better use and it would also help someone and it would help my best friend. And it was just that moment I said, I didn't have to think twice about it. Okay, so let's talk just briefly about how this is possible that a living donor can give part of their liver. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a phenomenal organ, really. The liver is, it's is incredible. What a what a wonderful <laughs> organ. Yeah, not mine, not mine, but like most of them. Uh, yeah, it, it regenerates, so it's a regenerative organ, and the principal concept is that it is transferable. Like if you have a, a close enough match with medication, um, your body will adopt it and, and it'll, it'll immediately adopt it. So roughly speaking, anywhere between 50 to 75% of a portion of, um, of a donor's liver is taken. And in our case, I, I think it was 65, Six, 63, 63%. He got 63% of your liver. Yep. Right. Yeah. That was very generous of you. Very Thank generous. you. <laughs> very generous. Yeah. I'd give more if I could. But. <laughs> yeah. And that's where it worked out where us being tall, it actually helped. Oh yeah. Our body sizes were important. Our height, our weight, everything. our age. Yeah. But the, the process was, you know, not so bad. You just fill out a form that could submit to a panel and you get reviewed by doctors and nurses. And if you pass the screening process, which a big thing for us was the blood group, I'm O positive, he's A positive. So right off the bat, that's a match. And then you get into the more nitty gritty. You have to do your own workups, x-rays, blood work, MRIs, CT. Family history. Family history. I had to talk to a psychologist. So you go through all these phases to see if you really are a suitable match. And so it was a long, it was a couple of weeks to go through the whole process. A lot of recipients never meet their donors. Partners, it's not the first time, you know, it's not, I, I wasn't told that it was the first time. So, but it's this, this incredible dynamic between understanding that, that side of it, as well as my side of it. So we both experienced 
every meeting and every doctor appointment and all of that we did together. Well, I gather your twin brother kicked into gear raising money. Yeah, uh, that was graciously. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you just you don't you don't realize sometimes how much help you might need. And we had made a meager savings account for a rainy day. <laughs> like we had enough money mm -hmm. to maybe take a plane trip somewhere if we had wanted to. But um, what we were facing was both of us being off of work and recovering at the same time for at least 12, 12 weeks. I, I think your, your recovery period was 12 weeks. Mine was a bit longer. Um, I had mentioned to Adrian, like he, we had seen a friend of ours, she had a GoFundMe and he said, I think you guys should really give this a shot. You know, there's, there's no reason not to, you never know. I had, I had kept, uh, I had kept everything fairly close to the chest. I'm not a, a social media guru. I don't, I don't share my life online. He wasn't really going to wait for me to say yes or no. But he took it out of your hands. Oh, he definitely took it out of my hands. Yeah. So after that point, he had created a, a GoFundMe and I was like, oh my goodness, if, if we could get um, maybe just a month or two of rent covered until one of us got back to work. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that'd be wonderful. Um, you know, and lo and behold, it's, you know, the uh, most humbling experience of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, just having complete strangers, uh, people we, we knew, people we didn't know. I'll never really know because the, the lists of people who donated are, are hidden in a lot of ways and I was never privy to them. So Mm -hmm. uh, over th 300 people donated um, close to $30,000 in that ballpark. And mm -hmm. there was no way that we would have made it through that period without that money. <laughs> it's uh, true. But what it really showed me was how much people care. I had people that I went to elementary school with that I haven't seen in like 20 years sending a message saying, Hey, we saw what was happening. Like we just want to help. And it just really proves to you in light of all the dark stuff, the darkness just in people and the world and situations that, you know what, there's really good people out there and they really care about us. They had our backs. They were behind us hundred percent. So Laura was your girlfriend. She became your donor. Mm -hmm. Now she's actually a part of you. Yes, literally, literally, figuratively, spiritually, <laughs> uh, any, any, any of those terms. Yes. And your love story has taken yet another turn. I understand. February of uh, yeah, February 2020. We were leaving. I was leaving work one evening, and she had just had a, a lovely haircut. I couldn't have thought anything. I, I you know, beautiful. Oh, this is wonderful. We had talked about going down to the lake. Watch the to watch the sunset because we had done that many many times in our you know this is a thing that we've done um so it had been a, a particularly warm day in february too warm enough to go down and i had just returned to work that was it that was the end of the work week my first week back and i was part days and i was still dealing with incision we both were still not fully fully healed but we felt well enough to go on this walk I'm taking photos. I'm always taking photos. <laughs> she has graciously let me have this photography life. Uh, she's used to it. So I'm, I'm distracted and I'm taking an image of, of the sunset. And I take my camera away, you know, from my eye and she's holding uh, a cart. And it's this beautiful, beautiful piece that she had written in this, you know, a, a beautiful card. 
I'm not going to go into details, but at the very end, it trails off and it says, I just have one more question. And she, I turn around to her and she's holding a, a beautiful watch, this amazing watch. I've said to her many times, I wish I had a pocket watch. I've always wanted one. My grandfather had one. I would love to have a pocket watch. And lo and behold, this beautiful watch is in this box. And she says, will you marry me? I didn't even get the words out of my mouth. Yeah. I was bawling like a baby. <laughs> I said, said, Devin McLean, will you marry me? Yes. Was it an easy yes? No. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get the words out either. I, I, I was stuttering like a, like a maniac trying to think of something romantic or some something you know anything uh at all and then that moment's when my stomach i said "Uh oh (laughs) i made a big mistake (laughs) uh and and it's just yeah the the uh the air was gone you know there was nothing i don't think anything could have there was no question in the time in our lives or in the time in the last year that we were ever going to be apart so the question is, is Adam going to play at your wedding? Oh, dear. Oh, man. Adam, if you're listening, bud, this might be the, the time we're asking. Um, for no. free. I mean, yeah. Adam, come on, Adam. <laughs> it's all because of you, Adam. Yeah. Thanks, both of you, so much for telling us you are, like, that is just such a beautiful story. I want to say thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is brought to you by Charm Diamond Centres, Canada's largest family-owned jewellery store. They are proud to be putting love on the map. And the staff at Charm Diamond Centres are thrilled to be a part of your love story too. So visit charmdiamondcentres.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. This podcast is made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. <laughs>